0: Andrew Sesky speaking, and you're listening to the Modern CFO podcast. I have an incredible first guest today, Kevin Appleby, and he is the founder of Grow CFO. It's a fantastic network for those who are considering a, a route to the CFO role or for those in it who are looking for an incredible network and plenty of resources. Kevin, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure. The modern CFO, now there's a thought. What's a modern CFO?
0: I think the modern CFO is a person who is in a very, very challenging position going into 2021. Really the best way to characterize it is to look at the Grow CFO Network website and look at all the incredible resources that CFOs need today. And it spreads across technology, financial engineering, and really having a good touch on driving culture. So, so Kevin, if you could introduce yourself and uh, you know, tell me a little bit about Grow CFO, I think it'd be a really fun way to start the conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm a a chartered accountant by background, that's the UK equivalent of a CPA, qualified in in public practice and then went off into industry for a number of years as in the chemical industry and ended up as European business accountant for, we we had a huge chemical conglomerate in the UK, ICI, and I was European business accountant for their plastics business. As that business changed and evolved and was actually sold, I became a management consultant and ended up working for PwC, mainly doing finance transformation projects. And then quite often as the finance guy on a more general project team, ending up, my client would typically be the finance director, the VP finance or the CFO, and often working with his team, trying to find information for the project. And I found over over time, there are lots of stuff that, I knew the answer to, but the client on finance team didn't. I ended up spending time in the classroom teaching a lot of that stuff. Around the point that we, we got into 2020 and the pandemic was on its way, I was talking to a chap called Dan Wells. Dan had already founded at this stage Grow CFO. While I was looking for a way of and working actively on putting some of the things that I taught in the classroom, into an online environment because classroom teaching in march just ceased completely we realized that we were were talking potentially to the same audience and it made sense of us working together and combining what we were doing so that that point grow cfo as it's kind of evolving to today was was born as a a learning and development organization for up-and-coming finance leaders, for the next generation of finance leaders. We found, as we started talking to emerging members, we put a network together. We used a platform called Mighty Networks to put together a a membership that people could join free of charge and start talking to each other. Dan's thing was, well, there's nothing really out there for, for CFOs, senior finance people, to communicate with each other, and to help each other solve problems. There's plenty of space here to go to big advisory firms, but nothing really here to, to allow CFOs to cooperate with each other and share learning. So that was, that was Dan's thing. And we, we started looking at this and realized that actually the, the biggest place there's a problem in the CFO world is not the really senior guys, it's at the more junior end. Now, you've qualified as an accountant. You've worked your way up through various roles in finance, very much in the back office. You've probably got to, and the titles that we would see in, the, in Europe, in the UK, would probably be head of finance. I think in, in a lot of US organisations, that possibly equates to VP finance, but not the C-suite. You can get there with some very, very strong technical skills, knowing the numbers inside out, being able to put budgets together, forecast together, things like that. But people in that role, they aspire to be the CFO. But what we found was there's a a big glass ceiling. It's very, very difficult to break through into the C-suite. You go to a headhunter looking for your new CFO. Your first requirement is, oh, I want somebody who's experienced you haven't even done a CFO job yet. So 95% of the roles out there are looking for experienced CFOs. How do you ever get through there? So we put together the Future CFO Programme. We've got it accredited for 40 hours of CPD, continuing professional development. And it takes you on a a nine-module or a nine-step journey between being a very good, very accomplished head of finance, finance professional, through to landing your first CFO job, how to move into that job. And it finishes with a create the plan for your first 100 days in your new CFO role. So we go through that, looking at your current skills, what's the skills gap that we'd, what are the skills we'd expect a CFO to need? Where are you versus those? Where are you, can we put a fast track, learning plan together then can we look at how you're branding yourself look at how how you go about getting the job let's talk about interview techniques let's talk about presentation skills let's talk about actually how do you communicate with the c-suite and so on all of the things that a a future cfo would need to know about
0: oh thanks so so much i cannot express how much it means to me that you're my first guest here because I don't think that we can address the needs of a modern CFO without even addressing the fact that there's a resource gap and, as you said, a glass ceiling for the route to even becoming the CFO. So before we leap forward with all the ways that CFOs are being pulled in different directions, I think it's critical for you know all of the listeners to understand uh, the pathway to, to achieving that status in the first place. I think you, you and your network are doing an incredible job at yeah. consolidating and distilling these lessons so that the next generation of financial leaders can be well educated and informed. And I think that you're doing a really great service for them.
1: And it actually goes on from there, Andrew, because I think getting that CFO job is only the first step. Once you're there, I don't think until you've actually got the role, do you understand the the breadth of skills that are actually needed, the number of different directions you're going to be pulled into. So while we've got the future CFO program all up and running. We're building a similarly big program now for the the first-time CFO. So we're very much seeing the growth CFO sweet spot is probably three years before you become a CFO through to maybe five years after. Those are the key things. But we want as well to involve as many really experienced CFOs in the network as possible, because we're seeing those as the guys that are useful to learn from, useful to be mentors, useful to come along and be podcast guests, present workshops within the community, and so on. So we, we really want to give those those experienced guys a platform to give back. So Andrew, tell, tell me a little bit about your, your background. How, how did you get to this position that you're, you're working in Nthround?
0: So actually two years ago today, uh, I joined Nth round, and we sought to try to solve some of the most complicated issues in the private markets. And some of the most complicated issues land on the CFO to try to solve. And it usually takes form in a couple of different ways. Anthrone was originally focused on trying to provide unique liquidity solutions, also tried to expand upon trying to create a culture of transparency by giving CFOs tools to be more communicative and streamline investor relations without taking away the personal aspect of managing those relationships. So while it's great to be communicative, It's also very challenging. It's also very painstaking. And the process is really manual. So we look to use just modern software to provide new investor portals to companies so that CFOs would have a new suite of technology to use and a more modern design to give shareholders a better experience and continue to cultivate those relationships. Because we know that at the end of the day, who you work with often comes down to whether or not you enjoy working with those people. We knew that from day one, and we tried to distill those life lessons into practical software tools.
1: That's really interesting because you you tend to think of the the CFO, well, number one tool is always going to be the Excel spreadsheet. We accountants just love hiding behind spreadsheets. But then you you start talking about accounting systems, and you start talking about systems that will report numbers that aren't necessarily financial systems that but you're, you're going in a completely different form of communication, aren't you? So,
0: Absolutely. Oh, tell, me,
1: tell me a little bit more about what this set of tools are, because frankly, I'd never come across anything quite in this sort of space before.
0: I couldn't characterize it better. I, I think of Excel as if you can picture Atlas holding up the world, very, very strong. I see those spreadsheets as the backbone of the financial industry. Enthrone's not trying to take away, (laughs) I know that it would be be a great struggle to try to rip away Excel from CFOs. What we're trying to do is mobilize some of that data, give it a little bit of life by creating things like a cap table that's easily sortable. Just really things that we've learned that over the course of all of our careers that are important. For example, having a dynamic cap table could just help you sort whales to minnows. So a cap
1: table, what's a cap table?
0: Simply just uh, the ownership structure, right? So we're, we're talking about a list of investors, shareholders, whether they're really all stakeholders. So they could be your employees if you're kind of a forward-thinking firm that made their employees owners. And more, it's more likely that you've got a handful of investors, or if it's very complicated, you have a lot of investors. So communicating with these different subsets of groups is maybe one of the most important roles within a company. So that dictates things like whether or not you have a really delighted shareholder and investor. And I think that most of uh, your other guests on the, on the podcast would probably agree with if you have happy shareholders, your life is exceptionally easier than if you have unhappy shareholders. And what that means to us is access to information that's ready and a really easy and simple solution that's secure, And at your fingertips, whether it's you're driving, you know, you're in a car and you want to flip open your phone to, you know, check, you know, a new update from your company, or if you're looking for a four-year-old K1, we want to be able to provide all of that at a click of a button so that you're not emailing the CFO because you know that within an hour, they'd have to respond to that email. So that disrupts the day and it doesn't really create a good communication channel. So we wanna just provide all of these tools and make them look like they weren't designed at the advent of the internet. We've noticed that most of the existing software out there oriented towards CFO roles, they're mostly data vault or document vaults or data rooms. And while that's really practical, it's not what you'd like to deliver to a shareholder.
1: Fine. Yeah. Give the shareholder something simple, something that allows him to see the key messages you want to give him, but also something that he can mine into to find those essential documents like like the K1 that you mentioned. So so to some extent, Andrew, we must be putting the, the company Prospectus online into a portal.
0: Yeah, I think that I mean there are definitely different levels of ways that you can utilize an end round platform. One of the ways I think about using the product is really more in terms of an audience view and a, an internal view. And maybe that'll help separate and yeah. kind of discuss the value of, of having a, a platform like ours in place. When I think about the audience view, I think about a very busy personal investor. And maybe it's, a, it's an angel that was early in your, in your startup, or maybe it's a, a large family office that it took place in one of your rounds. When that person decides that they are looking for information, they need something really clean, really beautiful to look at, and they want to feel good about their investment. And you want to light up the value of what that investment is, whether it's price graph of transactions that they can see their equity appreciating, or if it's simply an update about how the company's growing or which direction they're taking from the internal view, this is one of those things. And it's great that we're doing this over a podcast because it's a great example it's something that you're putting out there for the world to see, right? But it's not just the world. It's the most some of the most important relationships within your business. So I don't know if you've come across this in, in your career, but sending out a, a shareholder update can offer really two huge error potentials of omission or commission by leaving people out or adding people who shouldn't be on that list. So simple solutions like in portal having you know, very easily sorted list of those investors, being able to separate them into cohorts and automating email flows. It seems like something that just should have already been made available to, to teams, but, you know, this is an anxiety driving event for, for most people, whether it's a CFO prepping and the CEO actually clicking send or any scenario that would be just very stressful around investor relations. So we try to just take away some of that pressure by just giving updated really kind of modern and innovative tools to try to solve some of these problems because we know that addressing shareholder needs is one of the most important roles. And I think that that need is becoming more placed or more regularly placed on the CFO, which may not be the most natural fit for the role.
1: Yeah, and that's... We're, we're probably getting into into areas of what why does gross CFO exist? Well, one of the things we're, we're very definitely saying, Andrew, is that they the kind of breadth of skills that a CFO needs to have these days is is huge. And there's no way that any one person can be expected to be grounded at absolutely everything. I think communication is one of those interesting ones. that Well, you've got a guy who's used to be in the back office, used to be behind his favorite Excel spreadsheet. He's used to running the finance team, becomes CFO, well, suddenly he's got to talk to customers, to suppliers, to investors, to shareholders, countless other stakeholders. He's got to be the right-hand man to the CEO. Now, suddenly he's got a whole new world to play in. So anything that helps him communicate better has to be a, a real bonus.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's really the, the key of Nth round. It's one of the few, I, I promise you that you can find a thousand ways to manage payroll. There are countless account- accounting softwares and ERPs for planning and holding some of those macros that, you know, that you'd love to do in Excel. One of just the completely unmet needs is really just around investor communications. They have to be so tailored, so bespoke and they're really challenging to do. So, we wanted to give essentially the place where you're going to have I have to think about it in a way that's sort of like you'd be You know, working on a math problem, you have your scratch sheet, right? You don't want to turn in that scratch sheet. You know, your investors aren't that interested in the way that your macro was designed, but they definitely need to be able to have that distilled data presented to them in a a beautiful way. And that communicates really effectively because it's going to be a, a quick look through and it all has to obviously check out. But there's really no software that is oriented to distill those same lessons and our team is uh, incredibly well-versed in investor relations. So we're really, really fortunate that we've been able to create software around life lessons and truthfully mistakes that we've all made. That's really where all of this began and try to just create just a better private investing experience.
1: What are you seeing as the, the major challenges that, that CFOs have got these days? Are they, do you see that this is really, really one of the top things on their agenda to that they need help with?
0: I think if we asked the thousand CFOs, they would probably you know, say, it's really I need more time in my day. And mm-hmm. I think about what that looks like. You know, These are finance professionals and they're exceptionally good at what they do. And they've been chosen to be the, the public face of that team, which is fantastic. It's a, a huge accomplishment to be in the C-suite in that, in that role. One of the things I think that slows up that process is around this investor relation. So it, it might not seem as the most pressing and dire need, but these are exceptionally smart people who have reached a great deal of success in their career. And the things that they might trip up on are where I see us filling that unmet need. So it, it might not be obvious that investor relations would be the first thing a CFO needs to be worried about, but we see it as a huge unmet need in terms of innovative software that can solve some of these problems that they can continue to rely on as opposed to be kind of left, left in the dark to, to figure everything out on, on day one.
1: There are some interesting new happenings around NASDAQ requirements and things like that. So where do you think things are going in that direction?
0: Yeah, I think it's a, a really interesting push, um, probably necessary to implement as soon as possible. I think that that diversity requirement for NASDAQ is at least going to have every single board of public companies ask themselves a really hard question, which is, have we done enough? Or are we currently doing enough? I think most public companies want to give their investors the update that they're they're trying to be as diverse as humanly possible while also being equitable. But I think this is a good opportunity for all public companies to take a very hard look in the mirror to ask what's missing in their organizations. And we know just from statistics that diversity and inclusion efforts have fallen short. So it's kind of a good opportunity to refocus energy in a productive way, but it also demands a new spectrum of communication. When you're communicating across a diverse group of people, there's an added element of sophistication and nuance that's important to not just speak to a diverse crowd, but engage them. Mm. And I think software like EnthRound Supports that in a way that's really important. So when we do when we design any of the custom things that we do for individual clients, we have some very important pillars and hallmarks. For example, if you were to send out an investor update, or if you didn't have a platform like ours in place and were to send out an investor update, there's a chance that you have an individual personal bias. As if an individual investor were to pick up the phone and call you, you may say something that would be maybe just Again, it could be something like tone of your voice. It just opens yourself up to liability that's a lot of pressure. So by giving platform, like putting in a platform like ours, at a click of a button, you're giving equal information to all stakeholders in the same exact fashion where everyone has equal access. So it's not just how you're saying it or what you're doing. It's can we upgrade a system to make this whole process a little bit easier and also mitigate risk at the same time? Which I
1: think uh, would resonate. Uh, that, that's a really interesting one, Andrew. A few podcasts ago on the Grow CFO Show, we interviewed a, a chap called David B. Horn. Uh, David's one of those rare CFOs that's actually written a book. Add then Multiply, David's been involved in several occasions in the transaction space that we're talking about. He's been ta- he's been involved in floating businesses, getting investors for businesses, buying businesses and indeed selling them. One of his passions at the moment is all about that minority inequity when it comes to raising finance, that some research that he got involved in showed that for every dollar of private equity raised only one cent went to an all female pitch team. And David has a passion about education and minority interest in education and equality of females. So he's actually come out with a a real want to do something about that. Uh, I'm really pleased to see your software is kind of leveling the playing field here. But we talked about that in the podcast and we put a lot of it down simply to cognitive bias. You look for people, the equity house looks for people like themselves. Use the CFO, probably that you're constantly thinking of communicating to yourself.
0: Um, that's a really good point. I think that that's exactly right. It's one of those things that you think about in terms of where can I find somebody who has been through this process, right? So the hiring of a CFO may come pre-IPO and that is maybe the most important event of a, of a company's entire financial history, that opportunity for liquidity and to open up the investor pool to the, to the public. And let everyone you know have access to that those shares, but at the same time, kind of the iteration of that thought is if only one demographic has ever done it successfully, you will continue to rely on that demographic. If you don't support and promote other people to have the opportunity to be successful at it, you're going to likely end up just repeating what you know would work again to mitigate risk. So I think that there are a ton of tools right now, and I'm very excited that the SEC here is sort of broadening the potential investor pool in terms of accreditation standards. So we're really redesigning the entire private markets right now. And I think using really advanced software to help mitigate some of that risk around private investments, which are inherently risky, is really a first step in molding that infrastructure. So I think that if we do this really purposefully, we're going to be able to create a far more equitable environment for the financing of innovation. Which is really what we rely on. So that's mm. very mm. exciting to me.
1: Yeah, and that, that, that cognitive bias. I and mean, I, I even see it myself. And one one of my regular weekly tasks in Grow CFO is to is to write the weekly newsletter. Normally I write it so the last few weeks I've written on a Sunday evening with a schedule set to go out about eight thirty Monday morning. And I do find myself looking back on this and suddenly realizing, oh, Kevin. You've written this for another male CFO. Go back, take out all the references to he or him or whatever, and realize that probably 40 to 45% of the people that are reading this, this weekly newsletter are female.
0: Really good point. I mean, that's a great practice. Um I, I think that that, in itself uh, it will continue to help foster the, uh, the gross CFO network. Mm. I was actually thinking about this. I know that you've recently launched a toolkit to try to help people understand what, what they are kind of working on. As a leadership position, I think that has some requirement to be self-reflective. Can you tell me a little bit more about it?
1: Yeah, and you, you asked me the question just before we went on that. If you, if you could give your CFO any to any present that you wanted for christmas what would it be and actually we're we're in we've got a, a very early version of what we're calling our cfo readiness toolkit out within the future cfo program the toolkit identifies the what we we look at as the 10 core competencies of the the cfo and it allows you to go in and rank yourself and give you an idea of which areas you're really good at which ones you need to develop and some of it in, in the the future cfo situation you probably haven't fully at this stage got your head around everything that a cfo needs to do as as you said earlier i think i think your words were the the cfo is the public face of finance well Typically, your your future CFO is still doing the head of finance, VP finance, financial controller type role. Very much looking internally, very senior position, running finance, but running finance internally. The difference, once you go to the C-suite, is you're you're the the right-hand man of the CEO or the right-hand woman of the CEO, and you're very much looking outwards that requires a whole load of new skills. So the readiness toolkit effectively says, hey, here are all the things that you might need. What sort of experience have you had up to now in doing these things? Where do you think you're gonna need to develop yourself to say that you're you're ready for that role? And we know we can't be great at everything. So the Christmas present that I wanna give CFOs is version two of that toolkit, which, which we're actually developing at the moment is gonna be much more detailed in how it does the assessment. It's gonna allow you to say, well, we're gonna break each of the 10 competencies down to lots of sub areas. We're gonna say against each, well, hang on, what's my level of experience? Is it none at all? Is it basic? Is it intermediate? Is it advanced? But actually let's put another layer on top of that because one of those key competencies we look at is that whole area of the transaction the managing investors, the going to markets, the buying and selling of of businesses. Well, actually, some CFOs have an entire career and never, ever need to get anywhere near a transaction. So just because you might not have any experience of that, you might consider yourself weak at that, doesn't mean it's the first thing you need to learn. So it's balancing in that kind of spotting, gaps in your current skill base, but also looking at the what's nearest the top of the pile that you need to learn about in the next 12 months, getting those two together. And we're also saying, well, we can't treat CFOs as, as just numbers in here. We've got to look at certain amount that people come along with with strengths and weaknesses. And you can be weak in something, And part of it is recognizing you're weak and maybe getting somebody else to help you rather than learn the skills yourself. Because I I always believe that a weakness, if you put that on your development plan, well, the best you can go is from being weak. Maybe you might get to mediocre if you're lucky. Well, I really do. If you're just mediocre, you might as well get somebody else who's very good at it to do it for you. The CFO cannot be good at everything. But if you've got a few strengths, then... Strengths are the sort of thing you can take a mastery. So why not put your personal development into stuff that you are good at and become better at it? And that becomes your your kind of specialism. I think that's a far more sensible way of approaching things, especially since things that you're strong in, things that you're good in, tend to be the things that you enjoy doing as well. Let's face it. If you don't come to work to enjoy it and have a bit of fun, then it's a boring old world. That would be my my Christmas present to the CFO. And I know you've got some thoughts on what what Enthran would do as a Christmas present to the CFO
0: yeah, yeah we've uh, we have a, a few running internal jokes, and our team has many of those. You know we're all professional uh, coming from the finance world and technology world. So we are sending out uh, Gap t-shirts and Gap obviously with an additional a, but styled very similarly but yep. not too similarly to so the uh, Gap as
1: a clothing brand.
0: brand right right yeah. but it says uh, I know Gap and I'm I'm not afraid to use it so we'll be sending some of those out and I'm very excited to send one across the pond to you Gavin. just to kind of summarize all of that I think what kind of realizing here is that the traditional route to becoming CFO almost has a direct switch to trying to then be in a leadership position for that role. And it really values different aspects of not just skill sets, but personalities as well. So what it demands really is either a perfectly well-rounded human being, and maybe there are some of those out there. But I think what you've identified is it's very unlikely that that's going to be the case. So might as well look, again, hard in the mirror, recognize the, the leadership position that you're in, fill the needs with people who love to do what what you lack in, which takes a great deal of humility. But that's what the the leadership role requires now. And I don't think that we've even really touched on the fact that technology is changing so rapidly as well. So outside of, again, it feels like we're creating this master list of proficiencies that most people have a career in one in, And we're saying that a CFO, a modern CFO of, of today needs to be, self-aware enough to understand their strengths and weaknesses in a way that they can hire effectively to fill those needs or learn about whether or not they have a passion in self-improvement in that way. They have to be technology experts. They have to understand financial engineering. They have to be very strategic and understand, like you said, some CFOs never go near transactions. Others need to do M&A strategy, which again is a full another set. So hmm. to support and then to be able to communicate across all of your teams on top of all of that seems like a really big ask and maybe not even kind of what the experience level of their you know the role they had prior to becoming CFO. So I think that's all really really interesting and I can now sort of start to understand something that's always baffled me is the turnover rate of CFOs. It really seems like we're almost giving an impossible task and then if it doesn't go the way the CEO predicts then I'm starting to understand this is kind of filling in my personal understanding of Why this is such a challenging endeavor. A
1: couple of things I'd say there. Last week, I recorded a podcast for the Grow CFO show with one of our mentoring team, Catherine Clark. And we spent the whole podcast talking about imposter syndrome. And... We think that nearly everybody that gets promoted to the the top of of their game, whether it's to the C-suite, whether it's partner level in one of the the big four accounting firms, so on, they get to a point that they kind of think, "Mm, what am I doing here? I haven't got all the skills and the talents that are needed for this role. I'm going to get found out at some point. They get this feeling of inadequacy. It manifests itself in lack of confidence sometimes. It can manifest itself in procrastination around a decision because you're not sure about all the facts. And what we're saying is actually that's perfectly normal. And the first thing you've got to do with imposter syndrome is actually admit that you've got it. And that's a, a very hard thing to do. But once you've made that admission, then you can start to do something about it. That imposter syndrome into the CFO role in particular, I think it can apply right across the C-suite. But you know, The CFO suddenly has to be the, the man who understands business strategy. He's got to be the man that understands the finance numbers. That's probably easy because he's done that all his time. But he's got to be able to communicate. He's got to know about investor relationships. Most CFOs these days are being pushed in the technology direction. Take this conversation we're having today about nth round, I've been around finance technology in a consulting role for many, many years, and I had no idea that this this anything existed in the space that we've been talking about today. How's the average CFO supposed to know about that? How is he supposed to know even about the latest developments in accounting software? What should he guide look for when he's selecting a new finance system? He's the man at the top of the pile with the job of implementing that system. That means he's got to know an awful lot about business change. He can't possibly know all of these things. So I think in the CFO role, the, the potential to have imposter syndrome is probably doubled over any other role in the C-suite. One of the things in Grow CFO that we passionately believe in is the role of a mentor. I think CFOs as well feel... As though they should know it all and probably think, "Oh if I have a mentor it's a sign of weakness but actually again it's it's recognizing that you can't possibly know know everything and quite often you end up particularly in that that smaller company, probably the sort that you're describing where you've got a few investors they're bought in you've, you've probably got a finance team around you but you may well be the only qualified accountant you don't have a peer group that you can turn to easily for for advice to bounce an idea around. One thing I loved about consulting was that we always had a consulting team of fellow reasonably senior people. We had a problem around a project. Well, let's go have a beer and work out what we're going to do about this. I don't see the CFO having the same kind of peer group. So why not have a mentor who we believe should be a CFO that's been there done it before, got the t-shirt, that that you can you can talk to, that you can say, well, actually, Catherine, who I interviewed on the podcast, one of our mentoring teams, oh, you know, Catherine, I've got this problem. Do you ever come across anything like that? And she might say, well, not exactly, but we had this situation and here's what we did in that one. And it worked a bit, but it would have been better if we'd done. And you, know, you just start, kicking the idea around and you've got somebody else independent from your organization that can give you a a good view of things. That's the way things are going for the CFO. And I think having that mentor, if you can manage to do it, and personally, I believe that the company should be paying for that out of your personal development budget. That's the way things should go.
0: I love that idea. I think that's a brilliant way to not only solve some of the uh, feelings of imposter syndrome. But also it addresses something I hear all of the time when I talk to prospects or existing clients. They say, you just took a process that we did manually and I just saved three days. You're doing the exact same thing. You're distilling these lessons into really digestible, easy to access narratives that are incredibly relevant. But we're talking about things that are lesson oriented that even if you had the time to go find out for yourself and read and Google search every possible thing you could on the subject, you could still fall short. So being what Gross CFO does that I think is so incredible is that, men- that mentorship program, being able to call upon somebody else and ask if they've seen something similar, even just to give yourself more resources. But I, I love that. That's some of the best feedback I hear from clients. That's one that makes me really excited is you just saved you just save me days. I'm great at what I do, but distributing all of this is one of the hardest parts of, you know, going into the end of the year. So I think that, I think that we're basically doing a lot of the, the same work and trying to just distill these lessons into practical tools and provide resources to kind of an underserved network of people who are being challenged in a lot of ways, whether it's rate of techn- technology, change, driving a, a culture of inclusion, so all these are incredible leadership capacities, but you, you'd have to be, you know, you'd have to be a superhero to get all this done independently.
1: Yeah. and the the time thing is, is an interesting one because I, I really do see the CFO being pulled in two directions and it's looking after all of those internal things in finance that traditionally do take an awful lot of elapsed time. Now, there's the those statements going out to investors there's the repeated budget rounds of reviewing numbers and things like that there's the the close out at the year end and putting together those financial statements and we're seeing more and more certainly across in the uk i don't know if it's the same in the united states there's the need to put together big annual reports that cover lots of things around sustainability and ethnicity, diversity policies and thing, thing, things like that that are a million miles away from finance. But because the annual report, the CFO gets dragged into all of that stuff. And right. frankly, the, the time pull on the CFO away from some of the other externally facing stuff that he should be doing is, is quite considerable. So any tools that we can find that, that may allow him to drag a day, two days, three days of his month back have to be pluses.
0: That's how we feel, obviously a, a bit biased in, in terms of how we go about doing that in creating easier ways to communicate with shareholders, especially around such sensitive reporting. Mm. But I think that it, it continues to just, like this is not, this isn't a trend that's gonna reverse anytime soon. We're gonna continue to have more and more strain on on this position and I don't see that rate slowing down. I see the technology that, CFOs need to be aware of as more complicated. Just kind of something that's fun about one of our, our trading environments is that for small transactions, we built a what's called the decentralized application based on blockchain technology. Hmm. So if you want to trade private company stock internally amongst shareholders in small quantities, we created a, a tool to do so. And it looks like a bulletin board of, of bids and asks, but it, it's another opportunity for a CFO to say, I'm on the cutting edge. I know I understand how we could deploy a, a blockchain-based application moving forward into 2021 if, if that was of interest to, to us or our shareholders or if it solved in a liquidity need for an individual. So it's it's almost as if risk mitigation outside of traditional finances also now includes having a really solid hold on cutting-edge technology, a really great hold on driving diverse culture. So. It's not just time back into your day, it's gives them a fighting chance to to even maybe just address all the things that we've covered so far. In all of the podcasts you've done so far with the number of really interesting guests, what's been one of the more shocking pieces of information that you've received? I think, you know, imposter syndrome is probably a, a, a little shocking, but then once you think about it, less surprising, but have there been any just things that have changed in the role that you see
1: one of the podcasts we put out early on, we put together in the early days of Grow CFO, right around the beginning of 2020, we took the the embryonic member base and we surveyed these guys around finance systems. It was kind of what do you use? What do you think of it? Would you recommend it? What are your plans going out over the next three to five years around replacing the system and so on? And i think the the surprise that we got was in certain cases the lack of knowledge of the systems that people are using we were right at the start of of lockdown so people were were suddenly learning how to work remotely that gave some people a shock because they realized then how the old really old fashioned systems that they thought were still going to work for them just didn't work remotely mm-hmm. but then there was this idea that um, We asked a specific question is, is, do you use a cloud accounting system? Now they'd named the system, and they then said, is it cloud or not? The number of people that thought they had a cloud accounting system when they didn't, cloud to me is something like zero. It sits on a server that's zero own, that's up there in the ether, you can sign into it from anywhere using a browser, it's available 24 seven, whatever whereas some people had a, what was effectively an on-premise accounting system still, but you could get into it remotely. The perception that that kind of old technology was being thought of by a lot of CFOs as cloud when it's not. That came as quite a shock to us, that, that people's realisation of what they're using, a lot of people not realising the art of the possible with modern software. So I think that, that survey gave us a few surprises
0: i've got to say I, think I love the i haven't heard that before the the art of the possibilities yeah i love that because it really it forces you to have almost an internal audit of your back office software and really a lot of software that ends up getting purchased either by leadership or by somebody who recommends the system internally they say this solves a problem Right, This solves an immediate need that we have right now that could be an accounting software, planning software, pretty typical. And I think that the lack of understanding in, in technology just goes to show that there are a lot of softwares out there that are a little less malleable and pretty pretty static. So something that we kind of pride ourselves on is really, we give you a really interesting way to kind of custom build what solutions you need to use. What's obviously pressing that needs to be solved right now, whether that's simple equity or investment management, or we have a number of real estate clients uh, that use our software to design around individual buildings. So it's really interesting that you can recognize that there's clearly a discrepancy between existing tools and tools that were relied on at the beginning of the pandemic, but also that the new suite of tools available today, you can continue to build off of and innovate on and create you know, unique design that's oriented to you and your situation, which sounds really pertinent to the CFO to kind of wrap back to the idea that there are some CFOs that will never see a transaction, right? So we know that there are, there are very, very unique experiences. So to have software that's malleable and configurable in a way that's unique to you and your situation, I think that's more pressing now than ever because those tools are readily available. So yeah, it's a it's a huge need. And it's it, the thing is it's hard work to address an entire back office. And sometimes these are you know complicated situations that the CFO is inheriting and didn't, you know, didn't start with. So yeah. to be able to bring modern solutions into kind of antiquated processes is it's a huge challenge. So not knowing where to start where to start, again, huge value to to grow CFO saying that there's a, you know there's a big technology component these days.
1: Yeah, and I seriously think the future is. Systems that are extensible, you know, they can grow with you. They've got the basics, but they've also got absolutely great APIs that mean that you can you can plug in other tools as you need them as, as you grow. I think the the days of the almost traditional ERP system, and I've always been a, a hater of SAP, I've spent a career avoiding SAP implementation <laughs>
0: projects. I'm just about we done. Don't ask them for a podcast sponsorship yeah. anytime soon. Yeah.
1: How's that? No, not anytime soon, but you know, I've always regarded it as concrete wellies for the corporate organization.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. That's, but, so, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: I think it's very much, you need systems that are modern, flexible, and can play together.
0: Right. Nobody's trying to steal Excel from you, but you do need to be able to update reports in a way that doesn't look like you're just designing macros, right? You need to be able to distill and share information easily. I think play well together is actually more powerful than integrate. I think about tools that integrate. And I think that the term integration might be overused. Mm. I think that sometimes when people discuss software that integrates with one another, they really mean there's a manual process and it just happens to you can just dump the things that you did in one system yeah. into another and it then appears there. What we try to do as designers and software engineers is create tools that play really nicely. Mm-hmm. So we, we understand that Excel isn't going anywhere. You might have 10 sheets open. That's fine. That's you know what that's what the tool is built for. The power of ledgers is is great. But at the same time, we also have things that are augmentative. So we have worksheets and internal tools that you'd be easily able to just tap into when it when it made sense to do that. So I think play together is the perfect way to put that. I think it's an important distinction.
1: Talking of Excel, that was another little shock that we got out of the finance system survey. It's it's not unusual for a, a brand new company to start off and they just keep the accounts on an Excel spreadsheet. Right. But the number of companies that we th- we found out that had kept going that way and never quite flipped over to buying themselves some proper accounting software, that that surprised us. It was more than we imagined.
0: You know, we've got a a really interesting, now that I think about it, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you think CFO is going to continue to expand in 2021. I'm really excited to see how the the toolkit comes back, how people use that and get to understand where where their strengths and weaknesses are. I was thinking about this in terms of where I sort of see markets merging and uh, a little bit back towards the NASDAQ conversation as well. I think that Enthron has a very good chance of also becoming a source of truth when it comes to using tools like Bloomberg Terminal. The private company data world is pretty saturated. It's got a few big data providers, but the information that we're capturing is so valuable. It's everything, and then to have a single screenshot of all of it, but it also relies on incredibly sophisticated security. So I think in the future where private markets are a little bit more democratized Enthron could be a really powerful tool for CFOs and then I think the fundraising and trading worlds are going to be colliding in a really unique way so I think we're kind of positioned nicely to be a CFO's favorite you know if we're saving time and energy i think that that you know that adoption could be really powerful but that's uh, maybe maybe another year away but you know it seems to resonate really heavily with with this network right now and we're really excited to explore if if that's kind of where we're going to sit in in the conversation
1: But you know, Andrew, that probably brings us right back to what what would the really valuable Christmas present be to the CFO? I think it'd be a crystal ball. Because to see all that lot and how it's going to play out, you're you're really guessing a little bit. What's the future going to hold? What are the things out there? There's bound to be some stuff out there that, you know, we haven't even thought about. You you can only base what you think the future is going to be on what you're seeing now. And new stuff is coming on at an increasingly fast rate. And then 2020. What would we all have done this year if, at this point last year, we'd had a crystal ball that told us we, we were going to have COVID?
0: I think I'd be in Barbados, Turks and Caicos, or uh, no. But I think that's right. I think that the uh, the planning aspect and the strategy is all based on you know what we have right now in front of us because that's what our basis of all of our planning is going to be around. And again, I think that the worst situation is when an individual is looking for information and they go to reach out to the CFO and the CFO either knows the answer or doesn't know the answer. And they're in a position where it's just high stress on an additionally high stress environment. So I I just think that that when that communication breakdown occurs, we can put things in place now that are going to update how we can communicate more effectively. And it kind of feels like what we've surmises that almost all of the communications, all of the work that the CFO does is critical. These are not conversations that can go in any, any direction. They have to be precise. The models have to be accurate. And then on top of all of that, the communication has to be flawless. So... I think you're right. I think a crystal ball is a, is a better gift than a, a, a T-shirt. You know, I think maybe if we do really well in 2021, we uh, will look at going back to our, our VC and asking if we can invest in, uh, you know, some sort of AI that will uh, give us a, a better chance of scenario modeling out the rest well, of the... Well, there,
1: there you are. There's, there's the thing that we <laughs> haven't even started understanding what the potential is. AI. Where does that take us? I and mean, we're, we're going into science fiction. But it's, it's going to be on top of us in three to five years, and maybe even faster.
0: Yeah. The thing about it as well is the, the process of seeking out a potential solution. If you haven't addressed the problem in a, in a way, even with an outdated system, it's going to be far more difficult to implement just a variety of innovative technologies. If you don't have, like we said earlier, uh, things that play well together tools that play well together, it's going to be very difficult to upend your entire back office overnight when the next best thing comes out. So it, it is a work in progress to get buy-in from your team to use certain tools, to give the CFO the confidence that when they use a tool that it's going to be, it's going to operate the exact way that they'd like. But I think it's a process. I, I don't think that one of the science fiction things that I think that we don't really think about is it's all the time. It's happening every single day. It's not a Tomorrow we're not going to wake up, you know, and have access to, to fly to Mars, but we've been flying, you know, Elon Musk has been sending rockets and having them come right back and land. And, you know, we don't really think about how it's uh, all around us all the time. Yeah. Kind of integrating and updating is a, is a constant effort that's really, really going to help make that switch when it's you know, more available for more futuristic kind of applications.
1: And I'm, I'm probably one of the very last generation of people that can remember sitting in the, the accountancy office when I was qualifying to be an accountant and we still did everything manually. And then suddenly this, this box arrives one day. It's an IBM PC. What do we do with one of those? <laughs> oh boy, have we learned what to do with one of those?
0: <laughs> and I think most of the people who are qualified and uh, becoming CFOs remember that day as well so I, I think that that is really a, a perfect picture to paint when we think about updating systems and creating a better holistic environment to allow cfos to to run in uh, in 2021 and I'm, I'm really excited to help and work with you in, in that process so uh yeah i, appreciate, you know, I, can't I that. think
1: that's that's probably a great place to wind things up andrew that has been a, a really interesting conversation
0: thank you thanks so much for having me i uh I can't wait for things to return to uh, to normal and be able to skip across the pond and come see you sometime soon. So. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. We must do that. Right, thank you. Thanks, Kevin.